1 John chapter 5, verse 3 tells us, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. I'm going to repeat after me as we've gone through. We're back to the Ten Commandments again. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You guys are doing real good. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. In Exodus 20.14, repeat this after me, you shall not commit adultery. I want you to imagine for a moment, standing among the children of Israel... You're at the foot of Mount Sinai. You have seen amazing things. You have crossed the Red Sea. You have been protected by the Lord. You have seen His glory on the top of the mountain. You've seen Moses disappear up that mountain. Knowing that Moses, this man, has a connection with God unlike anybody you have ever seen in your lifetime. You are aware of God's power, of His authority, of His holiness, of His greatness. And Moses comes back down and I wonder what it was like to stand among the children of Israel and hear the Ten Commandments read for the first time. God was giving His people His law, His rules, His standards. He was raising the bar for a people who at that time had not had a law before. Who didn't know necessarily they had conscience They had some sense of right and wrong, but to have it clearly spelled out would be like shining a huge spotlight on every crack and crevice of their lives. And you stand there as you hear, you shall have no other gods before me. And you say, yes, Lord. And you shall not make for yourself an idol. And you kind of tuck the idol away and say, yes, Lord. And you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you say, yes, Lord. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Vacation, yes, Lord. (laughs) Honor your father and mother. Okay. You shall not murder. I'm all right on that one. You shall not commit adultery. Oh boy. For we, like the children of Israel, are an adulterous generation. What's amazing to me, if you think about it, the children of Israel were not standing there looking real good when the Ten Commandments were read because the first time Moses came down the mountain, he found them in a horribly adulterous situation with a golden calf. Forty days they couldn't wait for Moses to come back. In forty days time they had constructed a golden idol. They were adulterating themselves with the idol. They were committing the worst act of adultery, adultery against the father. And Moses comes down and sees this and shatters the commandments. Exodus 32.19 It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. The very law that was being given for them was being violated all over the place. And the second time Moses came down the mountain with new tablets, with the commandments rewritten, this time not by the finger of God, by the way, 
But by the hands of Moses chiseled into the stone as God spoke them to him the second time. Already we see a little bit of distance between the father and his people because of what they had done. And Moses comes down and begins to read through these Ten Commandments and the children of Israel stand there with their adultery all over themselves. What must that have been like for them? And my guess is that it is very similar to how we feel as we go through the commands and one captures our heart and slices it in half. And we think for a moment, I have blown it. I want you this morning to turn to John chapter 8 before we really deal with this commandment. And deal with it we will. And we are going to look at exactly what the Bible has to say about this issue of adultery. But my sense is that we need to start in the place of grace before we go to judgment and then we will come back to grace. I am so thankful that the Lord put this off. That Phil Jones showed up and, and spoke to us on Sunday a couple weeks ago. And then last Sunday it was put off again as we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And all these great things that the Lord is doing and, and working among us. I'm so thankful that He put this commandment off. Because it's given me time to think and be somewhat convicted about the very culture we live in. And to recognize the truth. And I, I want you all not to be looking around this morning and not to be wondering who could this possibly be. And especially not to be looking at yourself and going, Oh, everybody sees what I've done. We live in such an adulterous generation that this commandment, you shall not commit adultery, has touched every single one of us in some way or another. Every one of us. Whether it's having committed the act of adultery ourselves, having it committed against us, having a, a parent or a family member whose marriage has fallen apart, and we live in a culture that shockingly, even in the church, the divorce rate is no different than it is in the world. And you would think, but we have the Spirit. We have God's Word. We have truth. We have His love, His grace. How could this be? How could our marriages be falling apart at the same rate as people who don't even know Christ? And yet that's where we are. And the reality is that in this very building, we have all, in one way or another, been touched by adultery. And whether it was a decision that you personally made to commit the act, or something that's been done against you. Now I know there may be some going, I am not even married. (laughs) How could I possibly have committed adultery? Don't worry, we'll get to you. But my friends, we need to start in the place of grace and understand something about your Father. You are His beloved. Israel stood before Him, His beloved, even after the golden calf. And so we read in John chapter 8 verse 1 that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning He came again into the temple and all the people were coming to Him. And he sat down and he began to teach them. So they're at church. Alright? Jesus is preaching to the church. They're gathered in the temple. They're having church together. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. That phrase, let it ring in your ears, let us be clear. They brought in a woman caught in adultery. In the act. 
and the span of time, how long, I don't know, between being caught in the act, dragged out of where she was, and thrown between before Jesus was not long enough for her even probably to recognize or realize what was going on. She was a pawn in the hands of wickedness, not only by her own choice, but by the Pharisees, who you kind of wonder, how did they know she was in the act in the first place? So as to catch her there. But they grab her, pull her out, throw her before Jesus. Here we are in the temple courtyard. With an adulterous woman, the law says she is to be stoned. And the Pharisees are thinking, we got this man of grace. We got him. Teacher, they say in verse 4. This woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down. Then he wrote on the ground, and when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. There is no condemnation, Paul writes, for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want you to consider this. Stopping right there, where were Jesus' eyes during most of this encounter? The obvious answer is they were on the ground. The secondary and I think more palatable and powerful answer is they were on his own words that he was writing on the ground. And I want to encourage you this morning not to let accusations fly, but to keep your eyes on the words of Jesus as we talk about this issue. Father, we need your help to keep our eyes on your word. Not to shrink down in in horror, but to be brought back to a love that is so intense and so pure. And so right. And we're not talking about our marriages, Father. We're talking about you. And so this morning I pray that you will, Father, express to us your heart on this matter. And bring healing, Lord, where there needs to be healing. And restoration where there needs to be restoration. Forgiveness where forgiveness needs to be felt. And grace upon grace. Multiply it this morning, Father, I pray as we seek to return to you in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to flip in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. We are going to spend some time this morning in some very mature and graphic scripture. And so I want to encourage you to stay with me. I, it's fine that the children are in here. You know, there are, there are some churches that have all the kids go out during the Bible teaching because sometimes it does get mature. Sometimes it does get graphic and heavy and, and adult. This is not a, a book to be lightly read. However, it is a book that God wrote to all people. And so what our children hear from God's Word, even when it seems graphic to us, is, I believe, applicable for our children as well. So we read from the book of Proverbs. We'll begin in verse 1. Solomon is going to talk about adultery in these next couple of chapters as we looked this morning. 
Now you might think, why should I listen to a dusty old king? What does Solomon have to say to my life in 2005 America? How could he possibly understand what my life is like? Why should I listen to his words? Well, first of all, because Solomon was inspired by the Holy Spirit as he wrote these words. These are the words from God. But secondly, tell me, could anybody possibly have more experience with adultery than Solomon? Who had 700 wives and 300 concubines, this man understood adultery. He had some clue about what the outcome, what the effects, what the the results would be of this whole idea of sexual immorality and violating marriage. He knows what he's talking about. So let's look in Proverbs chapter 5 verse 1. My son, and I'm going to add my daughters, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of her life. Her ways are unstable, and she does not know it. I'm going to give you four things to write down that adultery speaks of. And the first one is that adultery is an issue of the heart. Adultery is an issue of the heart. And again, for anyone who thinks, well, I I have been solid in my marriage, I have have been fine in my marriage, or, or I'm not yet married, so how could this apply to me? Adultery is an issue of the heart. Pay attention to this. Listen. Solomon says her feet goes, go down to death and her steps take hold of Sheol. What he's saying is adultery affairs. You are choosing a hellish way to live. You're choosing to bring hell into your house. You're choosing heartburn of the worst possible kind. And what may begin as sweet and slick and even soothing becomes hellish and sick and destructive without exception. It can only bring harm and disaster. This is what the Bible says, what Solomon says about adultery. It will only destroy, and not just your marriage, your life and your heart. Adultery is an issue of the heart. Back before I, I started taking this medication, it's uh, called Protonix, and it's for acid reflux. I would go to, to restaurants, and, and you know, especially Italian places where the, the garlic is so good, and the taste was so wonderful, and the experience at about two in the clock, two o'clock in the morning was so bad. And adultery is the same way. It looks appealing. It smells good. It seems like... And you may even think, well, I can't think of anything appealing about adultery. Oh, really? Well, let's say in a marriage situation, the husband is just so busy at work and the wife is lonely. Or let's say the husband has met a woman who understands him like his wife can't possibly understand him. And conversation begins and it seems like, this is good. This is what I've admitted. This is what I need. And it seems right. But the Bible says to a man, there's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. And God wants us to understand very clearly that adultery is a heart issue. That's where it begins. It does not begin below the waist. It does not begin with lust. It always begins with the heart, with a connection that happens that it has nothing necessarily to do, even with physical attraction. It's a heart issue. 
Look at verse 7. Solomon goes on and says, Now then, my sons, and I would add kids, pay attention. Listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Listen, do not go near the door of her house. Do not go near the door of her house. Because the door, my friends, is the entryway, and Solomon says, avoid it altogether. Don't go anywhere that would provide entrance into the house of adultery. Okay, well, I'll just not go there. What are we talking about? <laughs> what kind of door is this? I mean, if you're talking about like a house of prostitution, that's easy to avoid. We just figure out where it is and don't go over there. Actually, I would encourage you not even to figure out where it is. <laughs> Avoid the entryway. Avoid it. What does this mean? What does the entryway look at? Gang, it's anything that allows me to enter into that place of violating my marriage or of violating my covenant with God. Any place like that can be the entryway. It can be a romance novel. Ladies, it can be a magazine. It can be a TV show, internet pictures. It can be music that I listen to. Did you know there is a formula in Hollywood for soap operas? Two sexual acts every half hour is the formula for a soap. Soaps that got their name because they began as, as kind of shows that they would sell soap. Which maybe needs to be bought because the people need to wash their hands of this stuff. My friends, when we watch these shows, we're standing at the door. I heard this, and I hope I'm not, I hope I was misinformed. But I heard there's a group of people who are part of the fellowship here who are really into Desperate Housewives. This is a place where we're just going to shine the light, gang. And there are plenty of other shows like that. The OC. Alias. They're not going to judge. <laughs> right in there. Standing at the door. Standing at the door. Watching, experiencing, even vicariously these things that go on in other places and thinking, it's cool because I'm not doing it. And Solomon says, yeah, but you're right at the door. You are introducing into your mind a mentality that says, you know what, I wouldn't do it, but it's okay. It's all right. It's all right for other people. It's okay. You know, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, in my church, of course, because it's immoral. But, you know, that's just kind of the way things are. Having a discussion this a, a while ago with a good friend who's sitting here, so I don't want to say Steve's name because then he'll be like, oh, talking about me. But about a particular church that is looking at homosexuality and saying, well, why do we look at that any different than divorce? Because the church 20, 30 years ago looked at divorce one way, but now today we're very accepting of it, so why should homosexuality be any different? That's what happens, gang, in our minds as we begin to look at these things and say, it's okay. It's alright. It's okay for, you know, for the world. And again, I wouldn't do it, but it's okay. It's okay to watch it because I'm not actually engaging in the act. I'm just watching. And Solomon says, don't go to the door. Don't go near the door because adultery is an issue of the heart. And you know what Satan's game plan is just for having you stand at the door? Just for having you watch the shows, especially Hollywood and the movies and all that? His game plan is to cause dissatisfaction in your marriage. Because you're sitting there, not me personally, but you're sitting there watching these shows. 
And you look over, and, and of course on the show, the bodies are slick and oiled and, and perfectly toned, and they have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to look this way, not to mention all the touch-up that goes on before they actually get to your TV screen. And you look at this, and you go, looking at your wife. <laughs> now hang on, because I know I could get in serious trouble here. But she has just washed her face and pulled her hair back the makeup's gone the Spongebob pajamas are on and again I am not talking personally here (laughs) have a great day bye bye and I'm going to say this and embarrass her even more my wife is the most beautiful woman in the world But you know what Satan does visually to us? He has us go, hmm. And the same thing, my friends, happens in adultery. Satan wants to cause dissatisfaction with what you have. He wants you looking at your spouse and going, she doesn't get me like she does. He's not there for me like he is. And we're standing at the door. Not having done anything wrong, but the heart is going, hmm, I wonder. Don't go near the door. Satan only wants to cause dissatisfaction. We can never look the way they look on TV or on the web or in the movies. And you need to remember, in this little scenario I painted for you, the sheriff's looking back over at me and going, so are you going to shave this week it's a really nice t-shirt I like the mustard stain that's a good touch gang lust develops dissatisfaction adultery never starts in bed it begins at the heart and I want you to keep a finger in Proverbs 5 and flip over to Matthew 5 Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. Where Jesus is continuing his commentary of the Ten Commandments. We've already seen part of it. He already discussed murder. We thought we were off the hook with that one. He said, no, if you're even angry with your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. No difference. It's a heart issue. Adultery is a heart issue. Listen, verse 27. He said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Down for the count every male in the room and the one who says he's not is a liar everyone who has looked at a woman with even lust in his heart even just checking her out Jesus says it's enough it's enough but then he goes on if your right eye makes you stumble tear it out and throw it from you for it would be better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And we would have a lot of one-eyed, one-armed men in here. But here's what's stunning, folks, is we would have a lot of one-eyed, one-armed women in here, too, because this culture has now gotten to the point where adultery is as big an issue for women as it is for men. Lust is as big an issue for women as it is for men. 
It didn't used to be that way. It really didn't. It used to be more of a hard issue for men and, and women. There were other issues involved. But now, the, 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 the impact of, of sexual sin in our country on women and women living out their sex in the city lifestyle is unbelievable. And what it should do to men is serve to show us how far down the road we've gone as well. Jesus takes it so seriously. He says, man, if you're right, I offend you. Pull it out of your head and throw it away. If your hand causes offense, cut it off. And I'm going, I'm not sure I want Scripture to be taken literally. (laughs) How far do we take this? What are you saying? And Jesus is so serious about this. He's saying it's better to be disabled than to be damned. It is better to be blind than to burn. And hell is a real place, not a place, by the way, that was created for you. Matthew 25 says hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for God's beloved. However, if God's beloved reject God outright and refuse to walk with him, there is no alternative. And so Jesus says if there is anything that causes offense, get rid of it for the sake of your salvation. And they say, Rick, this is, <laughs> this is stern. This is harsh. This is serious. Well, let me ask you this. Say you and your daughter are at the zoo. And you're standing by the lion's cage and you're looking at the lion's cage. And your daughter's kind of leaning out over the, the cage. And the unthinkable happens. The lion leaps that little space in between with the little water. You know, by the way, that, that a truly effective lion could leap that distance. That we all think is so safe. So the lion jumps across in a moment of, uh, you can't even believe it, and gets a claw into your daughter's arm and begins to pull her into the pen. You grab your arms around her waist and you're pulling and the lion's pulling and you're pulling and the lion's pulling. And let me ask you, what's more important, the life of your daughter or her arm? Would you not, to save her life, tear her out of his grasp if it's worth saving her life? Or would you say, boy, I I don't want to see her arm hurt. Go ahead. (laughs) Psalm chapter 7 verse 1 says, O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. And so God says, no adultery. No adultery. Because he wants to save his kids. You are his beloved. And he doesn't want to lose you. Jesus says, deal with lust radically. Don't go to the door. Deal with it seriously. And it's not coincidental in Matthew chapter 5 that the next thing Jesus talks about is divorce. From adultery to divorce is the logical progression. Well, adultery is an issue of the heart. It's also an issue of the body. Go back to Proverbs chapter 5. Beginning in verse 9, continuing on, Solomon writes, or, well, let me go back a, a verse. So we roll into this. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others, and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien and you will groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. Wise Solomon. Tired Solomon. The thrill of adultery, my friends, can never bring life. It only steals it away. Bit by bit, breath by breath, until life becomes a drudgery and hard 
and painful. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Psalm 38 verse 3. David says, There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. And ultimately, adultery leaves a person groaning at their final end. It steals your life, your vigor, your health. It steals that away from you. I'm not making this up. This is Bible stuff. God is saying, if you go down this road, it will wear your physical body out in ways you can't even imagine right now. I remember when I was in youth ministry and we would talk about sex and sexual immorality outside of marriage. We had this thing that we did where we take a paper heart. We'd have a girl come up to the front of the room and have like seven or eight guys lined up. And, and we would say, okay, she is now boy, boyfriend, girlfriend. Would this guy give him a piece of your heart? She'd tear it off and hand it to him and tear it off and hand it to him and go right down the line tearing it off and tearing it off and tearing it off and tearing it off until the last guy comes up and we say, okay, this is the man you're going to marry. And she had no heart left to give. Because it takes our life. It takes our body. It steals away even that which is physical. In John chapter 4, verses 7 through 28, there's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. This is a woman who is so beaten down and so bedraggled and so tired after five failed marriages, she's given up and she's just living with the guy. See, they were back then too. You know, it's not a new thing created just in America shacking up, living with someone. But she was doing it because her life had gone so far down that road that by the time, after five failed marriages, why even try? And she's at the well at noon, tired, worn, in the heat of the day. The whole picture is stunning. Carrying these heavy buckets that wonderfully she leaves at the well after she meets Jesus. It will wipe you out. Adultery is a heart issue. It's also a body issue. And adultery is a mind issue. It's a mind issue. In the same way that we cannot separate heart and body, we cannot separate out the mind. Look at verse 12. You say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart has spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. Now see, that's an attitude right there, a mind attitude that says, I'm going to sit in church, but you can't tell me nothing. Which is an improper use of the word nothing. It would be anything. So already you need to learn something. (laughs) I have not listened to the voice of my teachers. I don't really care what you have to say. I don't care if you have life experience. I don't care what that Bible says. I don't care what Solomon says. It's my life and I'm going to do whatever I want. And we got a mind problem going on. Read on. He says, and especially married people listen. Drink water from your own cistern. Fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the street? Let them be yours alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Listen to this. This is in the Bible. I love this. As a loving hind, which literally means deer, as a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Dang, that is a good thing. In marriage, that is a good thing. That is a biblical thing. To be satisfied physically, sexually with your spouse is a good thing. God is pleased with that. He created you for that in your marriage. Let your satisfaction stay there. He says, why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Now listen. For the the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he watches all his 
paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Think this through, process it, it's a mind issue. You are not alone. And if the act of adultery is anything, it's the act of secrecy. It's the act of thinking, wow, and you know, isn't it true that with any kind of sin that we try to keep secret, it's a rush? That that's actually part of the, of the thrill? Nobody knows what I'm doing here. It's just the two of us. Our spouses don't know. Or other people don't know. No one sees what's going on. And i got to tell you, God knows. He watches all your paths. You are not alone. By the way, someone else is also watching. Hebrews 12.1 tells us there's a great cloud of witnesses. Grandma? <laughs> Uncle Joe? You're not alone. That is a lie from the pit to think that we can hide our sin from God. He sees it. But you need to understand something else. And the Bible is very clear on this too. God is not the one hammering you for this sin. Your own sin will track you down and tie you up. Your own sin does it. Look at verse 22 again. His own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. The Bible doesn't say God is tracking you down. The Bible doesn't say God's like the big sheriff with the, with the badge and the gun going, Oh, right there. Got my eye on you and I see what's going on. The Bible says your sin does it. Your sin does it. God is not the sheriff. He is the rescuer trying to break you out of the prison that you've gotten yourself into. He wants to rescue. If you're struggling with lust, if you're on the verge of an adulterous situation, here's what you need, according to Solomon in the Bible. You need instruction. And this is where it's a mind issue. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And I'll insert this. If you're not in the word, you are going to be much more prone to fall than if you are in the Word. It's, it's just the way it is. And you've got that to, to chew on and decide what you're going to do with that. If you're not in the Word, you will be more prone to fall. Which is why I keep saying, be in the Word, be in the Word, be in the Word, be in the Word. Psalmist says in 119 verse 10, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander away from your commandments. Why? Because His commandments are not burdensome. It is His love that provides these for us. Now stay with me just for a couple more minutes. Go over to chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Proverbs. In verse 23. Adultery is a heart issue. It is a body issue. It's a mind issue. One more thing. Verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 6. For the commandment is a lamp. And the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And I would say again, or the adulterer, the application is for all of us. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of the harlot, one is reduced, I love this, to a loaf of bread. You are dumb as a loaf of bread on the account of the adulterous experience. Doughhead? <laughs> An adulteress hunts for the precious life, and that's a beautiful phrase. Listen again. An adulteress hunts for the precious life. Your life in the hands of the Father is precious. This is not God saying, I don't want you to have fun. This is God saying, You are so precious to me. 
I don't want your life to be ravaged. I don't want your heart to be messed up. I don't want your mind to be confused or your body to be worn out. You're precious to me. You are the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And so is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished or literally will not be innocent. Skip down to verse 32. He says, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find and his reproach will not be blotted out. But gang, this is amazing to me. Adultery adultery is not about pregnancy. Sexual immorality is not about being afraid of STDs. The issue is not AIDS. It's not even broken marriages. The issue at the very core is the soul. It's the soul. It's not the fear of, oh, I'm going to be caught. Oh, no, this is going to even wreck my marriage. No, it's the soul. This word here, verse 32, he says, He who would destroy himself does it. The word himself in the Hebrew is nefesh, which means the soul. It's soul destruction. When we violate marriages, and, and I will apply it to sexual immorality at any time, which is sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, it is soul destruction. And the world doesn't get it. Not even close. The world thinks that sex is about two things. Procreation and recreation. And that's it. It's about making babies or having fun. And what the world misses and does not understand is what sex is primarily about. And that is unification of a man and a woman in a marriage. Unification. Soul tie. Soul connection. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. And this fascinates me. Because it goes on to say in verse 27, God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Did you know that God did not give Eve her name? God didn't even call her woman. Adam did that. You remember Adam saw Eve for the first time and went, whoa, man, and gave her the name. do that. What God did was when he created man and woman, he said, let's make man. Let's make Adam. Man. One. There was no man and woman. It was man. This is man. There's none of that, you know, some Nazi attitude. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, well, I don't even want to be called woman because man's in that and I need something else just for me. And God's saying, hey, I have it for you. I created you in my image. Whether you are male or female, you are man created in the image of God. Unification. Unification. Uh, you know, I know I'm, I'm being a little silly. Okay, one more thing. He didn't call them... I I really shouldn't say this. He didn't call them Mr. and Mrs. Adam, and he didn't call them the Adams family. Okay? I just think that's funny. I shouldn't. He called them man because, and and, and let's, let's bring it in here and get serious, because when a man and a woman are together, they are unified sexually at a soul level, and... Teenagers, they will never teach you that in the public school. They're never going to tell you that. They're never going to explain why when a boyfriend and girlfriend who are sexually active break up, it is so darn painful. They're not going to tell you it's a soul issue. They'll say it's a choice. 
The Bible says adultery, sexual immorality, is a soul issue. But gang, there's even a greater connection, a greater soul issue at stake here than the one we're talking about in marriage. 1 Corinthians 6.17 tells us the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You've been bought with a price, a terrible price, as we've already talked about today, but you've been bought with a price. The blood of Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Sexual immorality of any kind is a soul issue. And Jesus says, man, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is serious teaching because God loves His children so much. He wants them to know you stray this direction and it's going to kill you one way or the other. Now, Back to John chapter 8, and we'll finish there. Jesus and the woman who was caught in adultery are now standing there in the temple courtyard. I don't know, you could probably hear crickets because everybody else is cleared out in complete and utter embarrassment. And she's still standing there, still wondering, as maybe some of us are, what is Jesus going to do with me? Let me speak directly here to those of you who have committed literally adultery who have violated your marriage in one way or another. What is Jesus going to do with me? Look at verse 10. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. And then he says, Go. From now on, sin no more. Sin no more. I don't condemn you. You are free. You have my grace. You have forgiveness. Your sin is as of this moment. Washed away, gone. It cannot be sticking to you. But sin no more. Go your way and sin no more. And in the midst of that wondrous freedom and forgiveness, a tiny question emerges that kind of plagues us with any sin. And that question is, how do I do that? How do I go and sin no more? Even recognizing forgiveness for all that I've done to this moment, how can I go my way and sin no more? And the answer is simple, my friends. You come rushing back into the arms of the one who loves you. And again, I'm not talking about your spouse. I am talking about your father. The best way to hold a marriage together, to keep it intact, the best way is not to love your spouse more, is to love the Lord more. Because in loving Him more, you will see your spouse in a completely different light. In fact, you'll begin to see them the way the Lord does. And your love will return for that person. Which is again why I believe Jesus said, in response to this mind and heart and body and soul issue, He says, here's the deal, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. It's not just about trying to make make things right with a spouse, which is why so much reconciliation following adultery is hard to do, why so often it doesn't work. Because the two people are trying to reconcile together instead of going to the place where reconciliation can happen, and that's in the arms of the Father. That's where He invites us to be. I had a pastor when I was in college who was just 
an outstanding Bible teacher, one of the best I've ever heard. And he was talking one time about this issue of men and women and marriage, and, and he shared a, a story. He said a guy came to visit him, sat down in his office and said, Pastor Lynn, um, I don't love my wife anymore. And Lynn said, well, what do you mean? He said, I just, I've fallen out of love with her. I don't have the feeling for her anymore that I used to have. It's just gone. And Lynn said, and I, I thought it wise at that point, he said, no problem. Go home and love her. But you don't understand. I don't love her anymore. It's gone. I don't have that sense, that feeling. You don't understand. Go home and love her. Now, from a, almost a psychological point of view, that's great advice. Go home and you, it doesn't matter how you feel. You act on it because love's a decision and you act on the love. And you love them even if, it doesn't, if you don't feel it. And that's alright, that's good, but it falls short. It falls short. Because the Lord's advice on the matter is not go home and love your spouse. It's you go home and you love the Lord. You go home and you love God with heart and mind and body and soul. Everything that is within you. You put your focus on Jesus and watch how He heals your marriage. And again, for those who are unmarried or not dealing with this directly, gang, the way to stay straight with the Lord is to love Him first. To put Him at the highest place in your life. To let every ounce of your being be focused on Him. And you do that. You do that. And even the commandments will take care of themselves. Jesus said the whole law and the prophets hang on this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's pray. Father. Lord, there's so much pain in the world because of sexual sin. As I've thought about this this week, Lord, I, I can't even I can't, can't even fathom the, the lengths to which adultery and, and fornication and sexual immorality has, has decimated this world and destroyed lives. And left people feeling in ruin. And Father, I know there are some this morning who feel like their lives are in ruin. I know there are some who are, are fresh out of broken marriages. I know there are others who right now are just hanging on by the skin of their teeth to what marriage they have. You know, there are others who, Father, had this haunting uh, memory in the past of an adulterous affair or a sexual situation they wish they could be free of but it's still there just kind of haunting them Satan continues to remind them as he does all of us of our sin but Father we need the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring this morning and we need to soak up the grace that you have promised and we need Father, clear understanding. We need that veil removed from our disbelief long enough for us to see that you love us and you do forgive. And it is in that place of grace and forgiveness that we can step out and begin to live new lives, even again today, for the first time. And let me just pray this. If, if, um, if you personally are dealing with the issue of adultery specifically in your life. I invite you to pray 
this prayer to the Father with me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I can't, I can't do this on my own. I, I, can't, I can't bear the weight of my sin. And I need you to do it. I need to be freed from this. I need love to return to be the centerpiece of my marriage, the love that I have for you. God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would be so present in my life that you would wash over me day in and day out. And you would take those things of the past and, and would wash them away. Take the hurt and the heartache from that and, and move it far from me. That I might walk in the light of your grace. And help me, Father, from this day forward, from this very moment forward, to see what you have given me in my life my family, my friends, my spouse and to love them with a love that flows from my love for you oh forgive me Lord I am so sorry and I need you to rescue me and if you have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior this is the wonder of grace that even after we have come to him even after we sin again, He continues to forgive. He wants us home. And if you want that kind of relationship, that walking, working, graceful, loving, forgiving relationship with Jesus, begin it today. Pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need You. And I confess to You my fallenness. And this morning, because of Your great mercy at the cross, the death that you died, taking my sin on yourself. And because of your resurrection, I, I want to live anew. I want to live in you. I accept you this morning as my Lord and my Savior and pray that you will not allow me to walk another day without you. And Father, finally, I just pray for the Bridge Fellowship. I pray for the lives represented for every person here individually, but for this body collectively, that you will continue to shine your light, that you will continue to precisely cut with the word of truth, and that you will continue to free and free and free us from the sin that so easily entangles us. As Paul wrote, Lord, may we not look at the sin that entangles us, but keep our eyes fixed on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. This is our prayer this morning as we lift our hearts to you, Father. In the precious name of Jesus.